welcome to the Casuals of Runeterra Book Club. I'm your host, Ryan, and we're back again. We're going back into the Runation novel, and this time we're going to do chapters seven through nine. And these chapters will actually wrap up the first part of this book. It's split into three parts. Um, but up top, let's do housekeeping as usual. You can listen to us everywhere if you're newer. Um, contact us at podcastcore at gmail.com. Visit us at podcastcore.com for all of our info. And then follow us on any platform, whichever one you like to use or all the platforms, because that would help us with discovery. And we appreciate it. Leave a like, a comment, and a short review. And the easiest way to spread the word is to tell a friend, one friend, to find the secrets of the ocean by listening to the Casuals of Runeterra podcast. Let's waste no time. Uh, this is a good chunk of information. And for these sets of chapters, um, they're broken into many scenes. So I actually broke them into scenes uh, in my notes to make sure that, you know, it's easier to follow because a lot is happening. Uh, we're jumping from, you know, place to place narratively so hopefully this helps so let's start with chapter seven uh where we left off and the first scene so we're back in alvedra which is the capital of camivore this is where viego's you know his tower resides where he leads his people and the atmosphere when they arrive is solemn right there's a lot of people that actually turn out uh to watch their procession to the you know the king's room and it's actually more people then came out for his inauguration or his, you know, uh, ceremony uh, to become king. And the reason is because everyone's gotten word of the queen's condition, right? Isolde was a commoner, so it makes sense that more people would come out to, to show their support. As far as the knightly orders, they've all gone back to their respective strongholds. So they split off from the main group on the way back uh, to this location uh, we do know that Hecram's order isn't that far, so he's the last one to kind of break off, but he's right there if they need to call him, uh, which is a benefit. And then we have Diego and his main group of assistants and physicians and Callista just making haste. They're wasting no time. They're not paying respects to the people. They're just trying to get from point A to point B, and that's where the first scene ends. So we're starting off <laughs> on a sad note. Uh, and this will continue. <laughs> so we move into scene two of this chapter. And we have uh, Viego and Isolde. They're just locked in his bedchambers day in and day out. Uh, while Callista, you know, every day she's just sitting outside wondering what's going on inside. Uh, there's a constant flow of physicians with defeated looks on their face. And they're going in and out of the rooms, trying everything they can. Nothing is working. That's not a good sign. And then finally, we have Nekrit step out. He peeks out, sees Callista out there, and he mentions, you know, I feel for the queen, but like many others, he fears what the king will become after losing her because he doesn't see an end in sight. Um, that's a positive one for the situation either. Uh, and then he tells Callista, hey, can you just go chat with him for a bit? He'll listen to you. He'll stay calm. Just go in there. I know you're just as nervous as everyone else. So she enters the room. And she sees the king for the first time in a bit, and he's withered, right? He's not eating. Um, he's not taking care of himself. And he, she also sees the uh, awful state that Isolde is in. She looks worse than the last time she saw her. Uh, so both people <laughs> in a withered state, um, and they chat for a bit, right? It's kind of light talk. He's obviously exult, uh, exhausted, 
And then randomly, Isolde actually wakes up briefly and she notices Callista and shows some energy that she hasn't had for a while. And at that moment, she's like, hey, Viego, can you do me a favor? Go get my Gwen doll. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, Gwen, a character from League of Legends. We'll, we'll talk about that in a separate episode. So keep an eye out for that and to give you a little more insight into the meaning of that. Um, but he's hesitant, right? He doesn't want to leave her alone, but she tells you know him, Callista's here. She'll take care of me in the brief moment you're gone. Uh, and as he leaves reluctantly, uh, she's like, I have no time to waste. And she starts telling Callista her true feelings. So two main things here. First, she tells Callista, I'm going to die. I'm dying. That's not a big deal. I've come to, to terms with this situation. Uh, but she fears that Viego will lose his mind. She calls back to when they met about how he had a temper and his pride and how that's kind of been reined in with both of their efforts. That's Callista and these old. And then she tells Callista that she needs to get him to accept that she's going to die and stop any possible devastating future for the future for the kingdom of Camivore, because that's what she cares about. Remember, she's common born, right? All the royalty stuff is whatever, but the people matter the most to her as well. And that ends the scene there. So then that takes us to scene three. A couple of days later, Callista's sleeping, and she's woken up by a servant telling her, you know, the king begs your presence, and that's all she knows. So she's thinking the worst, right? So she rushes out of her room, obviously expecting to find out that the queen is dead. Uh, but when she gets there, the first thing she asks is, hey, how's the queen doing? And Viego, looking excited, which is weird um, for the current situation, says, oh, no, no she's unchanged. She's still just chilling. But I found it, quote unquote. And Callista's like, well, what is it, quote unquote? And he says, salvation. And that's where we leave off chapter seven. So we move into chapter eight, which has many scenes as well. And we start with scene one. So in scene one, we have Callista meeting Viego in the Queen's Gardens, and they're having a little chat, right? He tells her, that there's this place called the Blessed Isles. That's the it he was talking about. Uh, and he found this through his research that he's been pouring through this whole time while Isolde's been sick in bed. He also mentions that not only did he find this himself, the priests have backed his claims. They are like, yeah, go for it, right? And this gives Callista pause because if you listen to our other chapters or if you're reading the book yourself, you know that the priest and their intentions have come up in the past. So it coming up here again is kind of ringing some bells, right? So Viego mentions that in this mystical place, there must be a cure for Isolde, and he knows it to be there. Uh, this will save her from her condition. And Callista, once again, hesitants, hesitant because of this fury of uh, information he's been just digging through. She doesn't really trust his ability to process it correctly. So she's like, okay, I'll give you a shot. Show me the research. And this takes us to the second scene. So they meet up with Necrit and Nuno Necrit, and they head down to the drawing room, where is pretty much a makeshift research facility for uh, Viego, because it's not too far from his bedchambers. So he can keep an eye on his old and also dig through these papers. And he's showing them all the info that's backing his claims, but he's kind of ignoring info that refutes it. And I have a couple quotes here directly from the book. 
which are important because they reference a lot of things in Runeterra that we'll get to that we have you know done in previous episodes, uh, but we'll get to in the future as well. There's a quote here that he says, "Look here in the account of this fellow Zullin question mark Zillion question mark whatever." This is translated from the original Icathian script. He speaks of visiting the city of Helia, and he goes on to talk about um, Zillion's accounts. So obviously we know who Zillion is. Uh, we've talked about Zillion in the past. Go listen to that episode, and I'll give you a little bit more insight into why this would be relevant. And then after he shows this info, Necrit is kind of on the fence here. He's, let's call him the centrist party when it comes to this discussion uh, where he's not really going against the king, but he's not jumping face first, but he falters a bit here uh, when leaning into Viego's theories. And there's another uh, quote here from him where he says, but if you take out the more fanciful aspects of these tales, the stories of undersea empires, wink, wink, of fights with demigods that fell from the heavens, wink, wink, and such, then it could point toward an island chain out there where the this Helia might be. So once again, we have the comment about demigods that have fallen in these fights, which is a reference to Kale and Morgana, we'll talk about in the future. And he mentions the underwater empires. We've talked about Nami in past episodes as well and her comics, so go listen to those. Uh, so this is obviously, you know, some uh, fan service essentially, uh, within this story. But we move on to him talking about uh, Helia's existence. And first, he talks about just the new map he's had made. So when they show up, he pulls out this fresh script uh, or fresh parchment, and he had one of their cartographers do a whole new map for him based on the information he's had to figure out where Helia might be. And there's a long description here that I actually want to read because I think it gives a lot of information. If you haven't looked at the map of Runeterra, it's out there. Uh, but as far as just verbally, he says, uh, the map showed Camavor to the east, as well as the roughly sketched out archipelago of Ionia to the north and to the west, the eastern edge of Valoran. In its northern reaches, that land was icy and windy with no real civilization, while the rest of it was a mass of squabbling tribes and barbarians. To the south was Shirima, dominated by sand and with largely impenetrable, savage jungles to its east. The eternal ocean stretched between Camavor and those distant lands, a great unbroken expanse that took weeks of sailing to traverse. Few islands offered any respite during that voyage other than the small chain known as the Serpent Isles. So that's just, you know, a, a word salad of all of the land of Runeterra that we know, right? Um, and from the perspective of someone looking at it from Camavor, which is kind of distant comparatively. Um, so we then go to talk about uh, the island where this would exist. So it's mentioned here in another quote, the logs of those who have found themselves in that region speak of getting turned around in an unnatural fog, their navigation tools failing. So if you've ever watched, you know, the, uh, the history channel where they talk about planes that fly over the Bermuda Triangle 
and they get turned around, they disappear, and no one knows what happens. That's essentially what they're setting up for here, right? So Callista is now the only one in this room that's fully focused on trying to get the king to give up on this plan. Like I said, Necrit's kind of leaning towards it. He's kind of given up that uh, the energy of trying to stop the king from moving forward. But at this point, the king puts his foot down and he denies their counsel. He says, listen, we're moving forward with preparations. Get everything I need. And after some consideration, he's trying to figure out who does he send on this mission. And it comes up the thought of speeding up the marriage between Hecram and Callista. And this would ensure that his allegiance, not only to the throne, would also be to her. Uh, and that would give him a better sense of, okay, I feel more comfortable sending him. And we know he's capable. This plan is ditched. Uh, and that's after Callista finally volunteers to go herself because no one's going to question her loyalty to the king. And part of the reasoning for this is she's thinking about in her, in her head while he's talking that this dark imperial past that the king, the knightly order used to have, where they would ransack any civilization they found that had riches and was worth it, that if she or if they sent Hecram to Halea, if he finds it, finds out how many unspoken treasures and artifacts that could you know, grant such powers that no one has seen to the kingdom of Camavor, then they wouldn't hesitate to pillage that place uh, and conquer it themselves. And that's what she feared. So she's like, I'll go myself and then I'll report back kind of thing, right? And this takes us to the next scene. So we leave Camavor, we go back to Ehrlich. We always got to check in to see what he's doing, right? Our nice little B plot here. And Ehrlich is just wandering around some of the dark parts of the dungeon, something he likes doing, right? But now that he has this new position, he has more access to things. And as he's going, he finds a corpse, just a long dead corpse. It's been there for probably 100 years uh, of a old master of Helia. And he figures that he got lost down here in the dark, wasn't really aware of where he was and just couldn't find his way back and slowly perished. So in the hands of this corpse, he sees a tarnished key and every key has a lock. So he takes it and hours later, as he searches, he finally finds the door with the key and matches it. And he's like, okay, cool. He opens the door and in this room, he finds an ancient book and he describes it as a book that will change everything. And that's where chapter eight ends. So we pick up with our final chapter uh, for this episode, which is chapter nine. And this one has a lot of scenes. <laughs> we have four scenes here. So let's start with the first one, which is fairly short. Um, we shift to Callista and Ladros sparring. And while they spar, they're having a little chat, right? Uh, and it's about the upcoming meeting that Ladros has with the king per Viego's request. Ladros naturally, remember he's quote unquote lowborn, uh, is naturally nervous about stepping into this place he's never been. Uh, and Calista tries to calm him because she's, you know, kind of used to it. And, you know, deep down though, she's nervous, right? Because introducing him into this mess of a political world or the nest of vipers, as she puts it, uh, is something she wanted to avoid at all cost. So this takes us to scene two. So we start with Hecram pushing back against the king lightly, right? It's still the king, uh, but pushing back on his wishes uh, due to Ladros being, quote unquote, lowborn. And Callista and Ladros can actually hear them from the ante room outside. 
Uh, Viego finally, you know, pushes off Hecram's comments and calls them in, and he starts sizing up Ladros, and then he chooses him to be his new bodyguard and champion. This shocks Hecram uh, because he was just arguing against this, and then he mentions, you know, it's not a wise choice, but also it's illegal, and it's illegal by Camivore law. So this position that Viego's trying to give Ladros is actually reserved for nobility. And as you know, Ladros is not a noble. Well, Necrot is there, and he mentions that it's probably easier, instead of changing the law to allow you to do this, why not just make Ladros a noble, since there have been nobles in the past that have passed away with no next of kin. So when that happens in this nation, all of your assets go to the kingdom, and they get to choose what to do with them. So just give him a new title. That's an easy workaround. Viego's like, brilliant, that's exactly what we'll do. And he makes Ladros Baronet of Penthos. And also, because of this new nobility, he has to promote him in the military ranks. So he promotes him to commander. Just a slew of promotions just handed to you by the king. <laughs> Welcome to monarchies, everybody. So Hecram, you know, ever the presentable person, he puts his mask back on, uh, not physical mask. But he smiles and he reluctantly congratulates him on his promotions and his new life, essentially, because he, he got promoted to being wealthy, essentially. Uh, and Ladros is left speechless. He has nothing to say. Callista, on the other hand, you know, on the surface, she's proud of this moment. She's grown up with him. She's obviously worked with him closely and she knows he deserves this. Uh, but deep down, she's still concerned about this whole plan because the reason for it happening is for the purpose of something she's trying to avoid, which is this whole journey, right? So we move to scene three, and I think the fans finally get what we want, <laughs> which is there's a following night where Callista hears a knock at her door. She opens it, and Ladros is there, and he's wearing a cloak, right? He's out late, um, and she tells him to come in before somebody sees him, and she has like a short sword in her hand just in case there was some trouble. Uh, but when she sees him, she kind of calms down, even though she's a bit nervous because He's never been in her room before kind of thing. Uh, so she invites him in. They have a bit of a chat. And then he pulls out this expensive looking pendant. And she knows that he's had it for a while, which means that he bought it while he wasn't making much money. And he essentially professes his love to Callista. And he's like, I want you to have this before you leave. Uh, and, you know, goes on this little tiny rant. The best Ladros can do, because remember from previous descriptions, he's a shy dude, right? He kind of keeps to himself and he's reserved. Um, but. You know, she's shocked immediately and nervous about this whole exchange, uh, a good type of nervous, right? Like butterflies in your stomach type situation. But obviously reality starts to set in and she tells him, I can't accept this because she's set to marry Hecram. And although now Ladros is noble, you know, he's a noble. He now has all the stuff that's the requirement for him to even pull this off. Uh, there's just no question about it. and. You know, they have this natural chemistry that we've seen up to this point. Like I said, they've always been close. They match really well personality wise. They like to, you know, joke around where her relationship with Hecram's a bit different uh, because of the noble standards uh, and the processes involved. But at the end of the day, she just can't accept it. And Ladros, because of his personality, doesn't give much pushback. He understands he just became a noble uh, and he looks defeated and he's, you know, he pays his respects. He respects her decision and he wishes her a safe trip before leaving and tells her that, you know, his heart will always be hers. 
uh, regardless of what happens. And he leaves. And as he's leaving, we get a little peek into the corner where we see Hecram watching him from the shadows of the corridor. And he has his fist balled and he's not happy uh, because remember, he's still in town. <laughs> so naturally, we're kind of expected to think that he was headed towards um, Callista's chambers as well before noticing this big lumbering cloaked figure heading there first. Um, and this takes us to the next scene. So we're done with the royalty shenanigans. We're back with Ehrlich. What is Ehrlich up to? And I mean, he's been reading. He's been, <laughs> he's been pouring through this newfound tome nonstop, trying to find everything and understand all the secrets it has to offer. And he finds in the very back, like he gets deep into it. He's like, oh shit, there are blueprints here. And these are very detailed blueprints of Helia's dungeons and just the whole architecture in general, uh, but of the chambers. And the most important part he sees in, the, in, in these blueprints is the mentions of the waters of life. Now, if you listen to any of our episodes regarding the Runation, you're not surprised, uh, but you know what these are. And he's furious when he finds this because he remembers that he found that key on a master. So that means the masters have been keeping these secrets to themselves and buried deep in the dungeons where no one goes uh, for so long. And at that moment, he makes another decision in his life. He decides he deserves access to these waters and he's going to find a way to get them uh, because of everything they've put him through up to this point. And that's where we end chapter nine. So we're done with part one. We did it. Hooray. <laughs> if you made it this far, uh, give yourself a pat on the back, uh, especially if you're not reading it, right? If you're just kind of hanging out with me, um, then we've gotten through the first part and there's two more parts to go. There's plenty of book to go. Uh, but you know, my, my thoughts now at this point, I'm pot committed, right? I'm, I'm sunk. I'm in sunk cost, call it whatever you want. Uh, but I follow the, uh, rule of three, right? Where with movies, books, TV, you say, okay, three episodes in, if you like it, you continue, uh, music, three songs in, if you like the album, you continue listening. Uh, and the same thing here, we did the first three chapters to start and I was kind of like, okay, I'm pot committed. I know a lot of what's going to happen. If you listen at, uh, to all of our episodes, you know what's going to happen. But this journey is surprisingly good. And this falls again into my comments about prequels where it, you know, it doesn't matter if you know the end, what's going to happen, the resulting effect. Uh, the journey is what, what's important. And so far, I'm actually enjoying this journey a lot. It's made me like Callista as a character much more. Like, I just, I, I want to play her in game now, right? <laughs> Even though that has nothing to do with her lore, she's just a really cool character. And I like Ladros, I like Hecram. I like the way these characters have been built out. And this is going to be important, remember, because we're getting the MO soon. And we're going to need all those details. Uh, so, you know, props to them so far. But, you know, you've stuck around with me. So if you have, as always, thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon with the next episode where we'll start off part two of the Runation book. So as Hetch always says, take care, everybody. <laughs>